Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with uh, our special guest co-host again, Roy Monahan. How are you doing today, Roy? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, it's always good to have you on and uh, let's go ahead and jump right in and, and uh, introduce our, our guest here. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we are here today with Arthur Hitomi, co-founder and CEO of Numescent. Numescent is a virtualization vendor who are truly turning application delivery on its head. Those of us who have worked with application virtualization or container products have met the many limitations and challenges that those products bring. Issues with drivers, DCOM, complex component services, and just navigating the intricacies of isolation have led many to abandon their efforts to modernize their application delivery methods. Numescent cloud paging makes the makes things simple. In most cases, packaging an application with cloud paging is actually easier than trying to figure out how a silent install switch should work for a vendor's product, and it's sure easier than repackaging apps into MSI. Unlike layering products, cloud paging provides the ability to have a single package which you can deploy dynamically without limitations. Not only does cloud paging simplify the packaging work, it also provides you with a variety of deployment methods through their SCCM integration, Citrix integration, and their own cloud and on-premises streaming options. If you are embarking on a Windows 10 migration, like many of us are, cloud paging is also the perfect app-compat solution for some of those tricky, stubborn legacy applications. With a lot of change in the application delivery space over the last few years, Arthur is the perfect guest to talk to today. So that, that's a great intro for, for cloud paging. And um, I, I hope this podcast um, introduces our listeners to, you know, what uh, New Medicine Cloud Paging, paging is. I'm, I'm fairly green to it as well. So um, wel- welcome, Art, and thank you for coming on today. Thank you, and, and thank you both for taking the time to have me. So let's uh, kind of jump right into it. You know, Roy gave a great intro. Uh, again, thank you for coming on. But like I was saying before, you know, I'm a little green to, to New Medicine Cloud Paging. Um, I have seen Roy talk about it. I've seen Roy give a couple of um, different presentations. I know he came here to our local user group and talked about the different options for virtualization for applications. Um, so our, for list, our listeners that are out there that aren't familiar with Numescent, can you kind of tell us about your history of your company and what you guys do? Sure. All right. And, and thank you for uh, um, giving me the opportunity to do that. So, uh, so Numescent uh, launched uh, back in uh, 2012. Uh, it was actually March of 2012, and we've kind of been in stealth for some time and basically the uh, when I started Numescent uh, what I was looking to do was you know to kind of really think back on, on how to you know just deliver uh, applications and just having them run mainly over the internet. Um, I've had this background for some time I mean, myself and, and a lot of our team members have certainly worked on you know the Windows internals and, and have been in this game of, of basically having you know remote execution of, of Windows applications, uh, and we've uh, been at this for some time. However, the, the one of the things that kind of came to my mind, and one of the challenges is, you know, that are we are we doing things the right way? And and we kind of into, when when we put this product together, we invented this product called cloud paging, which is a key technology around it. And and kind of what the name implies, it's it's basically paging, right? As in paging memory from the cloud is how that name was uh, was derived. And, uh, and basically, the, the idea behind that is, is that, you know, imagine if you wanted to go ahead and get a piece of application and have it run on a piece of computer. And 
you know, and on the normal way that you do that, you just go ahead and you download an MSI or an installer, you know, and you basically install on the machine and run it, right? At least if you wanted to have it locally install. I'm thinking, well, wasn't there a way to kind of skip that process? I mean, what if, you know, for example, you know, you can just take, you know, let's say an application such as Microsoft Word and, and just, you know, have that run, um, you know, and, and have it run instantly on a machine. And, and why not just take on what would normally physically fit in physical memory, right? So let's say in, in the case of Microsoft Word, you know, it might be 100 megabytes that might occupy RAM. You know that 100 megabytes is more or less, you know, what kind of executes on that machine, right, if it's in RAM. What if we could take that, you know, that what's in physical memory, kind of image it, and then and then just kind of page it into a remote computer that has none of Word in it, but just has that thing that's in physical memory execute on that machine. And and this is the kind of the birth of, of cloud paging, right, is, is that, you know, that ability to can kind of take a software application and just execute, you know, just what's required and effectively page everything else in. Um, so that's the, the concept, you know, behind the technology. But of course, to, to have it work and run, you know, there's a lot of details behind it. And, um, and you know, for, for things to page and, and when things execute, you know, you need to kind of virtualize the environment and do a lot of other things to make sure that, you know, whatever gets paged onto a totally different machine, right, can kind of run and act like it was the machine that was kind of captured on. So that's the, the basis of the technology. And the one of the point, too, is that, you know, we looked at trying to do this for Android and, and other architectures as well. Well, from an enterprise perspective and also someone who's pretty well versed with cloud paging and many other different application delivery methods, I think you touched on two key points there of um, that dynamic delivery, but also more importantly, that the application has to work. Um, something that really catches my attention with cloud paging is the high rate of success when packaging applications with your studio tool. Can you tell us how you guys achieve this when other modern dynamic application delivery products like, say, AppV, ThinApp, AppVolumes, App Layering, and many others do not? That's a great question, and I can tell you it came with a, a lot of experience and uh, trial and error. So the, to kind of answer your, your first part in, in terms of, you know, what we do to make it easy, um, you know, what we try to do with any application, right, is we kind of go through this install process. And, and really the idea behind that in doing the install process is to kind of, on some senses, strip the installer out and, and then kind of figure out, you know, what is it that's actually required, right, or what's, what is the application asset, right? And, and there's really kind of two ways to approach that. And I've done it both ways before. So the, the first way um, the classic way is what's called the the snapshot approach, and what that approach does is is that you know it takes basically a point in time, you know where you you know have the computer. So let's say you know for example you've got your Windows PC, then you have a clean image, and so you know that there's nothing else on it. So you you snap it at that point, right? And then you do the installation, you go through that process, right? And then once it's installed and it looks as ready to go, or maybe you configure it, and then you you know take your snapshot right and what happens in that process is that you a delta is created between you know what effectively got installed and what was the clean um, image now um, that uh, has you know some pros and cons to it you know the, the biggest pro to it is is that you know that approach for the most part 
you know, will capture everything, right, uh, that has happened within that time period. Um, you know, there's most, for the most part, you know, can pretty much guarantee that, you know, you've got everything if you're looking at the entire system. And, uh, but there are some difficulties with that approach, which a lot of the other technologies um, use, right, which is based on this, is that the, um, that, that time that it captured, right, there's a whole lot of things happened, right? So the, the thing is, you don't know, you know, the, the system wasn't really looking on what was changing in the interim, typically, right, when, when you're doing that snapshot. So, so that's one downside for, for that approach. The other big one, as you guys are all familiar with, is in approaches like that, you, know, you might introduce what's called noise or you know, side effects of something that, that may be not in your control. And in situations like that, you might pick up you know, some changes that, that you weren't expecting either by the OS or by some other application or driver. And um, so that you know, process of introducing noise can actually be pretty burdensome in terms of trying to clean things up. So, you know, that approach, you know, for us, we've, we've, we've tried and delivered before. It doesn't work. So we, we actually have what's called what's more of a monitor-based approach. Um, and what that does is it's, it's similar to a snapshot in the sense that, you know, you have to kind of say, hey, what's the begin point and then the end point? But it is more or less uh, process-driven. So what we do is we, we track the installer. And not only, you know, do we watch what the installer is changing with, this, with respect to the system and then capturing it, but we also know what's changing along the way. So, you know, if it's making particular changes or if we know something that, you know, it's interacting with, whether it's, you know, installing a service or those things, we identify those things, right? And then we, we you know, we deal with it. Um, now, the uh, with regards to the, the benefits of this, I mean, you get what's typically much cleaner because, you know, all you're doing is looking at what that application is doing. Um, the, uh, the downside to such an approach is, uh, one is is that you, you, it's possible that you might not pick something up that you should have, right? Maybe it's some kind of Windows service that it interacted with and missed the configuration and things like that. But but I'll tell you from a practical standpoint, that doesn't really happen to me. I you know I've seen it both ways and the moment both ways, you know it it turns out that you know if you do a very well implemented monitor based approach, what you do is you get a much more consistent capture of the application. Uh, and on top of that, you know, because you're monitoring what it's doing, you know, uh, during that period, you can get a, a, a better, let's say, more information from a tool standpoint to understand, you know, what are the things that the application might be doing that, you know, you need to be aware of. So um, that, you know, now I'll also tell you the one other piece about the monitoring approach is a lot more <laughs> code, right? It's, it's a lot more work, you know, to implement, you know, such a technology. Um, and I think that's another key thing about, you know, something like cloud paging is, you know, even though I, I made a trivial example about, you know, delivering, you know, pages right onto a machine, it, it, it's all into the details in terms of, you know, how it's implemented, right, and how it works. And, and that's why, you know, you can get such huge variance in terms of the performance on terms of, you know, using a particular technology, right, from, um, um, so in the case of layering or, or virtualization. Um, also, too, you mentioned a lot of other things in terms of, you know, what are some of the other things in terms of, you know, um, why we deliver and, and more reliable. It's also conceptually, you know, um, unlike, let's say, you know, doing something like a layering approach. Um, layering, for example, I would say has a pretty good compatibility, but then it doesn't have, you know, great portability. Again, I mean, you know, this is kind of, you know, conceptually on where the virtualization is happening. I mean, with regards to what we do is more at the application layering with the layering products. You know, it's it's more at you know the the disk or block level, uh, 
finding the deltas between, you know, what an OS image looks like, uh, the begin and end states of that. Again, much more of a snapshot-based approach. Great answer. <laughs> That's very detailed on the studio piece. And it is interesting that you guys have that very uh, different, uh, just fundamental approach of uh, doing that monitoring piece. It's also interesting to hear why the, there's benefit of that. And as somebody who's used the studio tool, I really like that you guys have some extra logic that some of the other packaging tools do not, where you can state, hey, this could be a potential obstacle for this application. We recommend you do this. For example, if there is a print driver, you guys can detect that and you're able to basically instruct the packager how they should be, how they should handle that. Um, and you mentioned how in layering, how it's a very kind of different approach and block level. Um, something I talked about during the introduction was just like dynamic application delivery and modern application delivery. And while I personally find that application layering, particularly Citrix app layering, um, when the layers are added into the image and at boot time, there is a very high rate of app compatibility, but for dynamic delivery, doing those elastic layers and obviously flex flex app and VMware have that dynamic delivery option too. the app compatibility or the limitations are um, greater and app compatibility suffers and there's more limitations. Um, whereas with you guys with cloud paging, what I had noticed just comparing it with like AppV, thin app and the app layering products for dynamic application delivery, it seemed like there was a much higher rate of success. And my, I guess, interpretation of that and the reason for that is the difference in how you guys handle application isolation and the fact that you have a lot of granular control to the point that you can even run it as if it's installed. Um, with containerization and with traditional application virtualization products, they tend to have very rigid isolation that packagers pretty much need to learn and work around. Would you say there's a steep learning curve with cloud paging? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and and you know, fortunately, and you know, there's you know, a bit of a long answer to that. the The answer is uh, it is not as steep as let's say you know something like an an app v you know, or a thin app when when you know those products are are focused on isolation and. And again, let me kind of give you the kind of the background and, and history and concerns of, of why that is. I mean, when, you know, like in the case of an app layering product where, you know, a technology like that is is much more about, you know, the delta, right, against, you know, effectively the layer of applications, right, um, that's been added, you know, versus, you know, just the clean-based OS image. Um, in the case of the, the, um, the application isolation technology, you know, that, the goal there was, you know, from the most part was trying to get, you know, these applications to run um, completely independently, you know, regardless of the, the entire application. And, and I'll tell you why there's some side effects in terms of why that's difficult. So in the case of um, the, when you're trying to isolate an application, one of the reasons why, um, let's say, AppV and ThinApp decided to do that is, is that, you know, they, it had a history, right, of at the time when the product was put together, you know, they were really looking at the goal of, you know, solving, you know, um, what machine virtualization was solving at the time, you know, which was trying to get, you know, um, high density, you know, or, or high, 
um, let's say, um, utilization of, of physical hardware, right? And and because you know the, uh, the VMware recognized that, you know, when you install a, you know, let's say in a particular server application, that a lot of times the, the CPU is idle. So you want to get more applications, you know, onto that virtual machine, um, and the and you do that by, you know, having right virtual machines or whole OSs, right, kind of you know sequestered on a one platform, and then you kind of load the hardware utilization up that way. Um, same thing when you know when the time when AppV and ThinApp was around, you know, the, um, you know VMs were getting popular, but you know that approach there was that well, let's take a look at the server, you know, terminal server environment. So in that environment, you know, you typically what you want to do is you want to get as many users onto a terminal server environment. And after a period of time, you know, you're going to find that you can only get so many users on because, you know, some users need particular applications that conflict with other users with applications that don't work with this. So let's say, for example, you know, it's, it's Office 2003 versus, you know, Office 2000, you know, or 1997, right? And so in, in a situation like that, you know, you'd want to make sure that, okay, in that environment, you know, both users can log on and they can run, right, their version of Office, which was difficult to do just by installing the TS. You would basically make it, there'd be a collision. So from that standpoint, you know, whether it's Office or some homegrown application, isolation was kind of the, the religion there. Now, the, the problem with application isolation is, is that in user mode, right, which is ideally how most software vendors should implement their application, um, it is possible, right, and it's much easier to kind of sequester, you know, basically that application to run in that particular user space, right, and not have it spill over to some other user session. When it comes to kernel mode drivers and things like that, um, that is much more difficult to do. And the way that AppV and ThinApp said, we don't deal with that, right? <laughs> and, um, and I realize this is turning to a bit of a long answer, and I'm going to get to the point. But the, the, with regards to their decision and saying, hey, we're not going to do kernel level stuff, which most, you know, productive and, you know, a lot of the ones that are useful do have, you know, print drivers and, and other things that people don't know about, you know, that's running in that space. Uh, that means that you're going to have to um, not virtualize those things because that and that don't virtualize those. Um, and so you're going to go ahead and take the process of removing, you know, those kernel level components. And, and that, that is really the, the key differentiated between let's say even us on layering for example right i mean we we don't we don't uh, deal with you know that aspect you know of of trying to reverse engineer a, a software isv's application uh, that you have no idea about right and figure it out and unfortunately the internet has recipes of the most popular applications but even in that situation very quickly you're going to run into a case or a derivative of the software application where Oh, you know what? This didn't. I, I couldn't package it right because it, you know, it's just not refusing to run properly on, on the system because it's, you know, running in a completely isolated sandbox. So that process of having to remove and uh, uh, basically separate out the kernel of components, which you have no instructions to do, and, and quite frankly, the ISVs don't want you to do, right? For the most part, um, you don't have with cloud paging because you know we we also deal with those kernel level. Right, drivers, and we actually do isolations down at that level too. Um, so you know we don't do it fully, uh, but we do enough of it to reduce most conflicts. So with regards to the you know what's called a namespace issue with regards to file system, if you have an issue where you install something in the same place, we can effectively isolate those things out, but still have it effectively integrated with the OS. Um, and Roy, you mentioned something for the layers. That layering 
um, that technique that we have, you know, which we call the integrated layer, um, if in, and the numeral is three for us, that that makes it a whole lot easier. And it's as if you're installing you know, straight onto the machine or, or straight onto a layer for that matter, right? And and that's it. You, you don't have that much to do. Um, that said, let me qualify, you know, the, the learning curve because, I mean, that is the absolutely the hardest part. You still have to understand the application, right? It, it's and and I just want to make that point out because it's you know it's um, just because you install an application doesn't always necessarily mean you're done, right? You still have to configure it, you know, make it work and behave the way that you want for your end users and and perhaps whatever requirements are placed on that application. Um, that is something that that still needs to be done. Uh, but at least from my standpoint, you know, that is something that that can be solved. You can work with AISVs to properly configure. Cool. <laughs> and you said. Uh... You wanted to get to an answer. I find with when talking about application delivery and packaging, it's very, very difficult to be concise. So I don't think you have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> and we just touched on application isolation, which I suspect is probably a big part uh, uh, of your product when it comes to application compatibility for Windows 10. And I know when I was at Citrix Synergy, I saw you guys had set up an app challenge where you invited any and everyone to bring their apps and you would package them up and show that it could be brought forward to a modern workspace with cloud paging. So what does cloud paging do to make these apps work on, I guess, coming from maybe Windows 7 to Windows 10 or even maybe to make them evergreen on Windows 10? So if it works today on, say, 18.03, it's likely to work on 18.09. Yeah, sorry. that's a great question. So, you know, there's a funny story to this because um, we kind of, you know, um, ran into this by accident <laughs> with our product. The, um, you know, the, the, you know, when we put together cloud paging and stuff like that, I mean, the, the, you know, that was not really, you know, the main use case, but it, it became one because our customers kind of came back and said, you, you solve this problem quite easily. And the reason, you know, the history behind that is, is that, um, you know, long time ago, um, even before Numescent, right, you know, I've always had this belief of, you know, if you're to put a piece of software, right, in using our tool, right, that you should try to have that software, right, run as long as possible. I mean, and regardless of, you know, whether it's, you know, application, you know, virtualization deliver or whatever the environment, or if it's just, you know, building a SaaS platform in the cloud, you know, you, you want to make sure that, you know, whatever, you know, you kind of built, you know, can kind of run into the future, right? And, you know, and we make, you know, at Numescent and from an engineering team, and I'm very proud of my engineers, is that, you know, we, we make sure that, you know, if somebody decides that the cloud page something once, then that cloud page can run for many years without being touched, um, you know, and, and that was important because, you know, people put, you know, as you know, you know, with, you know, something like Avi and something like that, you, you know, sometimes you put, you know, weeks into a particular package. We don't want any of that work wasted, right? So, um, and that uh, benefit, right, and that rigor, you know, that we stuck to, right? So for, you know, every version of cloud page, and we always regression test over, you know, the oldest packages, right, and make sure it runs on the newest platform, um, happen to be, you know, a use case that was extremely valuable, right, um, to to a lot of people transitioning on Windows 10. Um, so, you know, what's interesting about this is, is that, you know, that, you know, the core of the technology, right, where we had, you know, we even took an, an XP, an application set that, you know, that was uh, 
that was used XP, right? We had a tool and it had a version where it would do an XP, uh, an app. And then we made sure that that old, you know, app set, as we call it in our format, would continue to run on a Windows 10. And in order to do that, we had to build and, and effectively use virtualization technologies, right, to effectively, you know, have that application think that it was still running on Windows XP when, in fact, it was running on Windows 10. And, you know, we, we didn't virtualize all of Windows. Um, you know, we're, we're not, like, trying to be wine or, you know, some of these kinds of things. But what we do is we, we, we carefully pick what to virtualize, and, and we figure it out, you know, what are the most incompatible areas, right, with respect to, you know, the different versions of Windows so that we can keep these applications continue to run. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, what we do is we, we virtualize, you know, we actually have our own FSD, the, what's called the file system driver. It's our very own, and, and at the end of the day, what, it, what ends up happening is that, you know, it turns out our, our FSD um, is, is more compatible um, you know, on, um, you know, for Windows 7 applications than it is on, 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 for them running on Windows 10. So um, it's not that we have a better FSD than Windows 10. I mean, quite honestly, what happens is that, you know, anytime you bring out a new version of an operating system, you know, the, the, IS, you know, the Microsoft has to make a decision, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, we're going to finally make Windows 10 more secure, right? That means fixing, you know, all the security holes or patches, you know, and things like that. And, and, you know, along the line, right, in, in the name of security or performance, they're going to break something, you know, and, and they're going to make a cognitive choice, you know, and say, hey, look, these guys are just going to have to rewrite their applications because, you know, it, it's for their own good because it'll be more secure when it runs on Windows 10 and things like that. Um, you know, we, we dial it differently. You know, we say, hey, look, you know, our, in, in our file system driver, you know, we, we will actually, you know, conform more towards what that application would expect to see. Right, and then uh, and then and give it a a maybe callback or return value that you know they'll keep that application running, and then not worry about some of the security concerns. I mean, quite honestly, from my standpoint, you know, you, you can use other tools. You know, whether you want to you know isolate that application into a, a VDI environment or put more firewall policies in place, uh, whatever that might be. You know, um, IT guys, you know, have just more of a, a mission of you know keeping those applications a lot of times you know running right into the new versions of Windows, the spread versions of Windows. So, you know, we, we will, you know, go ahead and, you know, um, also with the virt- uh, registry to effectively, you know, kind of intercept or, or re-implement or rerun or, or, um, or recondition, right, you know, those calls uh, and in some cases re-implement the subsystem so that the application gets a much more consistent runtime environment from at that point of time, you know, of development, Right. And and that's again the the fundamental thing about application portability, and this is where quite honestly, where you know AppV and ThinApp, you know, does to some extent have a the right idea in the sense that, you know, if you can have that application run in a more consistent environment, the more likely that you know that application is going to succeed in running in the newer environment. Um, but of course, the the downside of that is the isolation. You know, it has to integrate with the OS and it has to integrate the application, so the isolation message starts to fall apart. Whereas we actually make an effort to making sure that when you're on the new platform, not only do we keep the applications, you know, seeing something that looks consistent with what it was targeted for, so that that Windows XP application thinks it's running on XP, but when it's running on Windows 10, but we also, we, we act as a middle layer or broker, right, to translate, you know, things that, that um, perhaps, you know, that the OS or the application wants to see, and then on the same side too, you know, we're looking down at the OS and saying, hey, you know, this is a call that this app wants, and, you know, this looks more like a Windows 10 application. So we, we kind of kind of meet in the middle, so to speak. That's why, 
Um, so again, a very long answer in terms of what we do, but, and again, I mean, these things are not simple. I, I just don't want to stress the fact that, you know, when it comes to, you know, compatibility and portability of applications, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of considerations that goes into it. And again, you know, um, it's a very complex space, but your, your mileage can vary um, strictly depending on how, you know, that, that layer or that middleware agent, you know, uh, implements and, and basically kind of remediates, you know, those calls and things like that. And the number of calls and the quality of how you uh, basically, you know, respond to the application is what makes a very big difference on whether an application runs or not on your next OS. So, you know, that, that's a uh, really good explanation. I, I like how you, you kind of spelled that out and kind of, you know, went through that process about it, how all that works. Um, so let's talk about, you know, you know, desktop virtualization, VDI, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I see your, your product has some features that provides capabilities for it. So what advantage, it, it, uh, I can't even talk, sorry. What advantages um, does cloud paging bring to VDI? And then, you know, what should you guys do to the product, you know, to make sure that you support your VDI? Yeah, great. So, um, so we've been, you know, the genesis of cloud paging has been really kind of delivering applications to unmanaged, untrusted endpoints, right? And, you know, so we, you know, and, and that's a very key differentiator, right, when it comes to, to running things. And, and we just assume that every environment is, is that environment. Um, so in the case of VDI, uh, the good news is that, you know, it's a much more consistent environment. So to some extent, you know, you're bringing a, you know, a shotgun, right, to a knife fight, right, in, in some senses when you bring cloud paging in the VDI story. Um, however, um, where cloud paging, you know, really starts to shine is, you know, when, you know, you're in a VDI environment, and then, you know, you need to basically, you know, dynamically configure these applications, you know, onto, you know, a, a VDI, you know, environment. So let's say, for example, you know, you, you spin up a, you know, a desktop image, right? You get everything up and running. And on the fly, right, you bring, you know, the various applications, right, uh, into play and then, and then construct the, um, the, the VDI environment for the user with all those apps and things like that. So... We made a, a great effort, you know, certainly in tuning uh, for the VDI environment. Um, not many people know, but, you know, we, we power some of the, the world's largest cloud environments. We're, we're an OEM for one of the biggest ones. Um, we have very uh, large government. We, you know, have Innovative, for example, who use our software, um, and they're building their cloud environment. So these guys, you know, um, trust us to, to effectively not just, uh, you know, help you know manage the applications on these virtually hosted desktops but to also lift and shift right um kind of going back into the the migration right i mean you know in, in an interesting fact is is that you know when you want to take a piece of software that you're running you know maybe on windows 7 or windows 10 for that matter and load it into a vdi or das environment you're, you're actually switching you're migrating again right i mean you're you're running typically on you know server 2016 2019 uh, 2019 you know maybe you have the windows 10 experience um, it looks like Windows 10, but it's, it's not, you know, so you have to, you know, that application then has to, you know, run again, you know, in a new environment and, and things can break. So we help, you know, a, a lot of these, and especially plugins and these, you know, complex apps, you know, run much more reliably in these environments. Another piece of it too is, is that, you know, uh, people, a lot, people now are talking about, you know, non-persistent desktops and things like that. And, you know, uh, what's nice about our technology is, is that, you know, when, when you want a real non-persistent desktop, right, 
what you want to do is you want to fully dynamically create the environment on the fly. Again, I mentioned that earlier. Again, that's what cloud paging allows you to do. And it, you know, it, you know, we've made various improvements in terms of we have the ability now for VDI, for example, that you can run more or less serverless. Um, so, you know, you don't have to necessarily have a stand up a, a paging server. Uh, you can now, you know, be able to use a, a file, right, within a VDI, I mean, a flat file, and then effectively use SIF, right, to basically pull the pages in and into your VDI uses a desk workspace. And then page the application in, and then dynamically construct it. And in that way, you know, you know, like, like let's say for layering, for example, I mean, um, layering kind of does that too, except, you know, does it, you know, um, as, a, as a delta, right, between the OS and all the applications installed in the layer, and just brings a layer in, right, and instantiates that. Um, the only issues with approaches like that is that you might be, you know, there might be other things that you might have put into that layer, right, kind of like a container in that sense, you know, um, and which may be good or bad. Uh, where we would like to get to with cloud paging, if you never mind, is imagine, you know, you've got just the base image, and all you're doing is just picking and choosing what apps you want, and they just show up for the end users. So that's, that's the whole BDI story for us. Um, making everything just kind of like a, a dynamic, customized, one-off scenario when the end user log into the system and decides to get all those apps. It's just all ready to go and, and ready to execute for them when they log into the session. All right. So we hit on, you know, virtual desktops and VDI, and we, we know, you know, that while, you know, virtual desktops and our management tools make things easier, there's still a huge physical use case out there, and, you know, that's not going to go away anywhere soon. Um, So I understand you guys can integrate with, you know, some ESD tools like SCCM or configuration manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, the, um, uh, a few things, I mean, one is, is that, you know, like, like with VDI, you know, I I see VDI as one platform, um, non-persistent, persistent, you know, maybe you've got a VDI farm that's running Windows 7 because, you know, for whatever reasons, you're not using our product and, you know, you can't get it to run on Windows 10. So all of those use cases, you know, you know, kind of see a world that um, basically, right, you're, you're going to have, you're still going to be dealing with multiple images and multiple Windows environments, whether it's DAS, Windows 10, Windows 7, or whatever that might be. But also, too, you, you kind of need a, a general orchestration tool. And, and you know, we, we've... Um, you know, for not just VDI, but, you know, for a number of our enterprise customers, you know, you know, we wanted to, to have, you know, a console, which, you know, um, people chose as their provisioning tool, right? And SCCM is one of the most popular ones out there. So uh, we've, what we did was, you know, for our uh, 9.1 release, uh, we have a, an actual, you know, uh, an integration uh, component right into SCCM. That basically, you know, um, acts as if, you know, we're, we're like an alternative to app V. So, you know, if you look at it that way, that's probably the simplest way to explain it is, is that if you want to, you know, anything that you would do with app V and SCCM, you know, we will be able to effectively do. And, and the big advantage there is, is that, you know, um, we'd normally have a, uh, you know, a tool that allows end users to select the applications or perhaps automatically deliver it to it, uh, to the end user, you know, those applications. Um, now you can just kind of rely on, you know, group policy, SCCM, right, and just go ahead and deliver those apps, you know, to that desktop. Um, no different than any other component that would use SCCM and deliver to your end users. That's great. Yeah, my preference would always be to just deliver to within the same data center rather than these 
uh, physical endpoints around multiple geographic locations that get very complex. So I'd be more of an advocate for deploying to like RDSH and VDI myself. But I do, I will say I have used the SCCM integration and I really like that, you know, for someone who's familiar with SCCM, it's very straightforward to deploy the uh, cloud paging apps because the workflow is pretty much the same as deploying any other application type. Um, but we talked about now VDI, we talked about physical endpoints, and we talked a little bit about how cloud paging works and how you derive the name. But with cloud in the name, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about your on-premises versus cloud solutions, your native on-premises um, versus cloud solutions. Can you tell us about some of the differences and benefits of the cloud product over the more traditional on-prem product? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And <laughs> what's funny, of course, is, I mean, you know, let's face it, right? I mean, if, if you're a company in 2019 now, right, and you don't have a store of the cloud, right, you're, <laughs> you're probably antiquated. Um, so, I mean, and of course, that's not the reason, right, why we did that. I mean, you know, with cloud paging, right, that was way back in 2012. And before then, right, um, you know, I had experience with the inter internet and, and, you know, having, you know, been on the, you know, group that invented HTTP, we we definitely are, are forward thinking in that sense, and of course, in 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 a weird way, the um, this product has been always meant for cloud. And in fact, it was really originally meant for ISVs being able to, you know, um, effectively from their from themselves be able to distribute their applications right um, directly to their end users. So you know, cloud paging really kind of has its roots built into that. Um, which is why, you know, we, we, of course, have a cloud product where effectively it kind of replaces a server that you've got. It does all the provisioning and delivering, you know, from the cloud. We have, you know, the basically the most efficient and, and fastest method possible for getting applications, right, especially over when, you know, onto any point and having an execute. And um, so from that standpoint, you know, the um, our product right, kind of fulfills the idea that, you know, you you don't have to, you know, set up a server, right? Um, all you really need is an agent on, you know, whatever endpoint that you want to run it. And then all the pages would just be delivered, you know, using cloud paging, right, onto the machine. Now, all of that said, why the heck do you have an on-premise? Well, you know, it's um, in the enterprise space, of course, right? It's it's all about control, right? It's, you know, if, you, um, if you're interested in on-premise, I mean, it's, it, there's other things tied to it. You know, there's like pricing tied to it, right? I mean, you know, on-premise kind of implies that there is perpetual pricing. You know, there's, um, you know, cloud, of course, implies subscription. But what it really, really boils down to is, again, it's not only, you know, or, you know, there are still enterprise people that feel more comfortable, especially sometimes in government, you know, where projects run for a very long time. They want to make sure that they know that you know, the piece of software that they've got is fully under control. Also, too, another big people thing that people kind of forget about cloud and, and why you know there's been the adoption in cloud is is um is a ubiquitous ubiquitous as it is today and how uh, accepted it is today. There's still the the big question about data, right? And and you know the reality is is that you know um, if you want you know um, stuff to execute in the cloud the the data has to be there too, right? Because you know you need to you know execute the data. <laughs> so, in in that sense, you know you need to um, you know some people ju just aren't comfortable with that, right? They don't want the data leaving to a third party and have it not under control. They don't want you know the the cloud vendor to to provide an update that that they don't want, 
Um, so you're going to get, for those reasons, you know, people want on-premise. On top of that, too, um, you've got the idea that, okay, well, I'm going to run my VDI stack as close as I can to my end users and then be able to really custom tailor the performance requirements, which, you know, means controlling the hardware and everything else that's running on it. And from that standpoint, you know, there, um, you know, you, you need to have, you know, own the entire stack, so to speak. So we, we get customers like that. I mean, you know, we work with some, you know, some of the largest financial institutions, right, that are very sensitive to where the data can go. Um, they're very sensitive to their, you know, their SLAs, right? Um, and the only way to guarantee it is they have control of it for the most part. At least that's what they think. And, um, and of course, we, you know, we accept that. Um, we think that that's okay. Quite honestly, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you my opinion is, is that, you know, cloud um, is, is still a journey and, and people are still onboarding. Um, there'll be a point where, you know, the control is going to be a big problem again. And, and quite often, scaling is going to be on some little big part. And you see the cloud companies and kind of moving more towards edge computing and things like that to address, you know, some of the scaling issues that, that cloud might have. But more importantly, you know, there's always this shift from going to centralized to decentralized, right? And, and certainly my background is that, you know, anything that you can truly distribute you know, you should, um, because, you know, it will give you the most flexibility. Um, that is why, and, and again, a long answer to your question, that is why we, we still offer on-premise. Um, we find, you know, a lot of our customers, especially the very large ones, um, will not only want that that control, but who can afford it, right? They're, they're not as concerned about, you know, the, um, they're always concerned about cost, but, you know, that, that control winds up being more paramount. You talked a little bit about your background just then and you mentioned a little tidbit kind of in passing about being part of the group that invented http can you talk a little bit about that <laughs> sure yeah so i had a um so one of the reasons why the um numescence in irvine is, is that i went to this uh, university university of california irvine and um you know almost by accident i'm not going to go into this podcast on that but the um uh i had the uh, the fortunate um, privilege of, of working with um, you know, some of the folks, uh, grad students and um, in the group at UC Irvine, uh, who were you know pretty much at the forefront of the internet. So my my office mate um, actually he actually browsed the internet in the afternoon, <laughs> you know the entire internet, um, you know. And at that point, you know, HTTP was still being developed. Um, it was uh, he was working with um, Tim Berners Lee, uh, you know, who of course is is uh, the the, considered the the web inventor and founder, right, of the internet. So I, I actually had the privilege of of seeing all that take place. Um, also, too, there's a protocol of HTTP called WebDAV, you know, which is for distributed authoring. And and actually, this um, my original uh, invention, you know, which was delivering these applications over the internet, was part of HTTP, right? Or at least that was one of the goals I had with HTTP. Um, so that's my background with that, and and you know that the, those group of guys, you know, what, uh, you know, it was certainly an honor working with them. My, and I always thank my advisor too, uh, Dick Taylor, uh, who you know basically assembled this great group of people. And and the other th- uh, thing too that not many people know is that you know not only did UCI this group created the you know HTTP right admitted the protocol um, and the one and one dot one spec that ran for a long time, but also too when you hear about you know, the REST API, you know, and people talk about RESTful APIs and stuff like that. That was my, that was Roy's dissertation. So I'm, you know, he acknowledged me in that dissertation. So, you know, and I didn't realize too at the time, you know, how big that would take off. Um, but of course now, you know, when you talk about, you know, interfaces, right, 
certainly between, you know, web services and things like that. I mean, you know, it's pretty much common, you know, standard nomenclature, you know, as part of engineering a piece of application that you talk about RESTful APIs and that you do things in the REST principle. And not many people also know is that my advisor is a software architectures um, leader, right, in the world. And then, and that REST is actually a software architecture. Um, so that's a little bit of a trivia for, for not just my background, but kind of the genesis of the internet and where things are today. Very interesting background there. Yeah, when you said that, Rory and I were were chatting back and forth, and did like, did he say that? Like, did I just hear what he said? <laughs> so <laughs> that, that that's a that, that's a very interesting background. So thank you for taking the, the time and and deepen or diving into that for us. Um, one thing I want to talk about too is about you know so Citrix. So both Roy and I are both local CUGC leaders. You know, you guys are a CUGC sponsor. Um, I believe the, the Phoenix group has had you. Hopefully we'll have you in KC at some point as well. Um, so I, I know you guys are Citrix Ready Partner, um, but can you tell us, you know, how deep you guys integrate with Citrix? You know, what integrations are there and so forth? Yeah, yeah sure. So, you know, we're Citrix Ready. Um, we, you know, we uh, certainly for Zen app or now virtual apps, right, and virtual desktops. So all of that um, is is where we're certainly ready, and um, we ha- provide you know support around that. Uh, we provide you know all the installation and and software right to get you uh, our product installed in those environments. So we're fully supporting those two products. <coughs> the also too, we run with the the rest of the Citrix stack. Um, we're not as integrated uh, into the other tools as we would like. Um, you know, certainly uh, what we'd like to do is uh, be a bit more integrated into Citrix Studio. So we're working on that right now. So there's a few roadmap, roadmap items that that uh, we're, we're basically implementing to to make, you know, basically the Citrix admins lives a lot easier using our tool. But um, what's the, the great news is, is several things. I mean, so the, the, the biggest value add with regards to a Citrix admin is is um, things I touched on a little bit earlier. One is, is that you know, is, is a central point, right, of, of basically or a central repository where you can effectively, you know, provision and deploy the applications, right, onto as many different images. And I'd probably say where our value starts coming in, I mean, the most obvious one is, is that, you know, you're, you're just trying to get Citrix, right, an environment up and running, right? You're trying to get Zen Desktop or Zen App or you know, the new, I'm sorry, virtual desktop, right, up and running, and um, and then for some reason you're having trouble getting those applications right running in that what it really is a server environment right which is a which is normal running a desktop environment. So we come in and we obviously assist in that and, and make that easier. But also too um, another thing that kind of gets overlooked is is that you know the um, is is the image management aspect of things right. When you start getting a very large Citrix deployments, you know you start getting into not just a Citrix deployment, but also you mentioned, guys mentioned that some people also want to do physical deployment onto laptops and the data centers, wherever that might be. Um, you you want to reduce, you know, um, you know as, as many tools of those as possible. And ideally, you know, just get those applications, you know, onto those, you know, images, right? And then separate the application and then the base images as, as much as you can. And that will really drive and reduce your, your system administration administration loads, right? So um, otherwise, you wind up with a permutation of images, right, of, you know, even in Citrix. So um, a lot of our customers, um, and we've got a lot of customers now um, that use Citrix with our product, um, really sees a, a big benefit of that. Um, also supporting the persistent and non-persistent environments. 
um, they all start off with, okay, well, I've got these one-off applications. I need to run Citrix, and that's kind of an easy point to start with. But that is, um, and that's what we do um, with Citrix. It's, um, and you know, what we hope to do in the near future is to also integrate into the other things, and even things like, you know, app DNA and and helping identify, you know, what are what are things that you know, cloud paging and messing technology, right? can help with in for Citrix admins, especially when it comes to migration and things like that. Yeah, you touched on a very, I guess, apt pain point that a lot of Citrix admins feel. Um, I actually have a buddy who's working on a project in Texas where they have, I think, 119 different V-Discs, 119 different uh, branches of an image, and he's trying to unravel that, and he was looking at AppV, but just the amount of work with AppV to unravel that uh, was just insurmountable. So I actually recommended you check out Numescent Cloud Paging to help with that. Um, when researching for the show, um, did a little bit of Googling work, and I noticed that Numescent holds more than 50 patents. And with your background, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, we obviously only touched on some of the features and benefits of cloud paging. We couldn't cover it all and do it all justice. But is there anything else someone who may not be familiar with cloud paging today should know? That's a great question. I mean, yeah, so we have, uh, we now have 54 patents around this space. I mean, it's it's also, also one of the reasons why, you know, we get, you know, large companies, right, that come to us because, I mean, they know that we are not only the pioneers, but, you know, we, we kind of hold the IP in terms of, you know, what we do. Um, but I mean, also, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, um, that we cover. So for example, I mean, you know, not many people know about, you know, like the Android, you know, offering right, that we have. So we, you know, we cloud page, you know, onto, to Android devices. And it's something that we, we don't really, um, advertise much because, you know, quite honestly, you know, there's, we solve so much more of the, uh, issues in windows. Right. Um, so there's a, a greater need right now with regards to that, but um, also, too, but we are thinking about the future as well. I mean, the you know, um, some of the other things that we have is, you know, we, we have, like, you know, we do things on Linux. I mean, I think that's a, probably the, the one thing that, that people kind of probably don't recognize is, is that the issues that you see in Windows, right, is going to resurface, right, into the other platforms, right? I mean, it, it's, in a weird way, what's kind of interesting about all this is, is that, I mean, you know, people kind of thought that, you know, I mean, Windows 10, right, is, is going to be dead. It's going to be the and- world of Android and iOS. And, and that's just not true. I mean, the, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, um, a lot of productive work gets done, you know, on the Windows platform. Um, my belief is that that work is going to continue, you know. I mean, the, you know, the Windows desktop metaphor is a very powerful one and, and Microsoft's decision to integrate, you know, extend and embrace, right? Um, embrace it as much as possible, right? Has, has worked out to their advantage and, and has a, a long staying power. So I think, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, you know, the, um, you know, we, we're going to see a much more of a heterogeneous environment. And what's going to be important is, is that, you know, you're going to look at, um, you know, you may be looking at, you know, running on Android and iOS tomorrow and maybe using more SaaS applications and things like that. But you're still going to have, you know, some fundamental things where, you know, you're going to have to control and manage. And again, I think where Numescent's position and standpoint is, is that, you know, we, um, you know, we kind of want to, you know, we're a technology, you know, tool provider. Um, you know, we we feel that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, where you want to execute is going to be a, um, an important decision, right? That goes beyond cloud at some point, and that, you know, every 
enterprise CIO and things like that will want to be able to say and say they have control in, in order to, you know, not just control costs, but the destiny and future of the company and things like that. Very good stuff. Um, so interesting stuff you guys have going on there and some things about, you know, what you're looking to, to do going down the road. Um, you know, outside of your current work at New Method, um, is there anything else you're excited about? Technology, other things you're looking at? You know, those <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> this world is changing so fast, right? I, it's, it's just hard to keep track of everything. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, um, if anything, you know, I, I think the, what I'm excited about is, is how the new technology, right. Um, obviously with, you know, biotech and all of that, I mean, you know, you can see, you know, AI, you know, all of the security, all that stuff is going to go crazy. Right. And, and there's lots of people working on that. <laughs> but I think what's, What's um, important for, you know, CIOs and certainly people working with Windows and, and all the, let's say, more of the legacy stuff is, you know, how the new technology is going to change, you know, um, their, what they're working with today. And, and obviously, you know, with 5G, for example, I mean, we clearly know that remoting and things like that will become more prominent, right? Um, but also, too, I, I think another piece that, you know, I'm, I'm, it's no secret, but, you know, I'm big on desktop as a service. I mean, obviously, no, not only do I have customers that are on it, but... But more importantly, the, the way I see the world is, is that, you know, the desktop as a service, you know, is much more than, you know, just running desktops in the cloud, right? I mean, I think that's the traditional mindset is, is that, you know, DAS is really more like IaaS, right? Except you're just running desktop workloads instead of, you know, server workloads. Um, but I think there, there needs to be a much bigger, right, thinking around that. I mean, I think with regards to, you know, what's happening and, you know, certain the speeds of everything that we have, and and of course the cost of computing getting cheaper and cheaper, is that obviously running these heavy workloads of desktops is is much more feasible and cost effective now in the cloud. But I think the other piece that people are kind of forgetting is is that, you know, um, this this is a certainly. I mean, some people are going to say, hey, you know what? Um, I don't want to treat Windows as legacy. I want to run things right in the. I want to go ahead and run things in the cloud now, right? But uh, but it's also an avenue of kind of outsourcing, right? Your your desktop, um, and people don't quite catch that. So, you know, let's say that you know you've got you know a Windows environment, right? And you want to you know move your call centers into you know Amazon Workspace or something like that. So if you wanted to do that, then um, then what you're kind of doing is not only are you saying that hey, I'm going to run my desktop in the cloud, but um, you now have the potential of saying, hey, well, maybe I want services around that and, and call center help desk or you know, some kind of services um, where I can have a whole different IT department kind of run and manage that. I think, you know, with 5G, the the, the internet speeds of today were the land speeds of yesterday. <laughs> I, you know, so all of that is going to continue to fundamentally shift, you know, the, the classic software application. So, you know what, um, in, a, in a weird way, um, even though, you know, I've got a huge background in technology and I've worked on the most cutting edge stuff. Um, I see a, actually a more exciting evolution of existing technologies married with, you know, kind of what the new technology that's becoming available for tomorrow. Um, that's going to create some, I think, some not only an exciting transformation for a lot of companies, but kind of more of a realistic transformation of, you know, of their IT uh, into something that, you know, that looks, let's say, just not too futuristic, but, but something that does, you know, what yesterday's technology does, um, transform that into something much useful um, for tomorrow, right, using what we have um, that's coming out with cloud and all these new technologies today. So sorry that was a bit of a long answer for that, but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, 
you know, it's a long way of saying, hey, there's a lot of stuff happening. I'm excited about everything. Uh, that's, that's a great answer. I really liked how you put it with the uh, transition of existing rather than the creation of new being something that excites you. And you're definitely a big picture thinker, uh, whereas I think I don't see that. I'm so involved in the day-to-day -day just grind of engineering and architecting that I don't seem to have that um, overview and insight that you have. So thanks a lot for sharing that. I always feel like I learn a lot just from hearing you talk. Oh, well, my pleasure. Actually, I love talking to you guys, you know, a lot too. I mean, I learn a lot from you guys. So I, I hope to see you both right at a new Kugzi event. Um, but certainly, you know, maybe at Synergy or one of these other um, events that we are all commonly at. Yeah, definitely look forward to, to seeing you and, and having you as a sponsor at, uh, at our group sometime as well to, to introduce our group to your product. Sounds like you could help out in a lot of cases. Um, Roy, before I close things out, anything else uh, before we shut down for the day? Oh, I mean, what you just said there, they can help out in a lot of cases. I think what we covered, um, VDI, physical endpoints. We talked about dynamic delivery, touched a little bit on cloud, uh, on-prem streaming. I mean, yeah, and Windows 10 compatibility. So just pretty much anything application involved, um, New Mess and Cloud Paging can help you out with. So thanks a lot for sharing with us. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, for your time. And anybody listening, thank you for your time. Yes, uh, thank you uh, again for coming on and talking with us today. Um, when this is out, you know, there's always an accompanying blog post that we'll have that will have links to for our listeners to go check out New Message and Cloud Paging and, and how to get in contact with you guys. Um, as always, thank you to Roy for being our special guest co-host. Um, make sure to check out Roy at RoyMond.com and also his Five Bytes podcast. Um, so thank you to our listeners again for listening. Um, this is uh, Jari with the Frontline Chatter podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. 